This is the Macworld Podcast, episode 488 for December 22nd, 2015. Hello, dear listeners, and welcome back to the Macworld Podcast. I'm Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld, and this is the last Macworld Podcast of 2015. Never fear, we'll be back in the new year with CES and more more Apple devices than you can shake sticks at. In fact, I think they're coming out with a uh, Apple stick shaker, right? Susie Oaks, executive editor of Macworld? Oh, yeah, definitely. We need this one th- of those. It's a selfie stick with some, like, a rain stick kind of integrated. Oh, I love that. Innovation. I was giving you a hard time. Not well, I don't know who was running the Macworld feed, but there was uh, it, it wasn't miswritten, but it cracked me up. It was here are five selfie sticks that, that'll work for you. And I'm like, what am I going to do with five selfie sticks? But, I'm <laughs> you a, need some more arms. I'm, jerk. I'm, I'm just picturing like Doc Ock, Doc Ock with his, you know, <laughs> there must be fan art of Doc Ock holding four or six selfie sticks. You got to believe. Uh, well, Susie, you're in the uh, the city that never sleeps, uh, San Francisco. Uh, oh wait, that's New York. Wait, you're the city of uh, we block, sleep a lot. We're an overgrown surf town, basically. Carpet shops that occupy city blocks and great bookstores. <laughs> Did you see that crap? Oh, oh my gosh. My gosh. San Francisco, and I was just actually interesting, discussing with a well-known podcaster, Merlin Mann. I was discussing this with him uh, after this came out. Smart guy. Yeah, he's great. And the thing is, San Francisco, I know, you don't don't live in the city, right? You commute into the city. I did live in the city, and then I was kind of priced out. So now the people that complain about the city, I want to just be like, yeah, you know, you want to come live with me, and then I'll come and take your place. (laughs) Yeah, I I was in a one-bedroom, right? And that iconic uh, block with the painted ladies that you see on all the oh, postcards. Yeah. Postcard Row. That was the view out of my, oh, my beautiful one-bedroom apartment that I lived in for 10 years. And then I had a baby and ruined everything. We stayed there for a year <laughs> and a half after the baby was born. Um, but then we really wanted to get... Oh, we played the study equipped at his wedding. All yeah. This no, he knows. <laughs> he knows you ruined everything. It's okay. It's not a secret. Um, oh, my uh, God. But we funny. love him so much. Um yeah, so I had to. We had to get him his own bedroom at some point. I thought yeah. maybe we could share for a while, and we did. But eventually, I had to kick him out of my room, so we needed to move. And you can't rent a two bedroom in San Francisco now. It's like four or five grand a month, and that's more than I make. So we moved to Oakland, where we were able to buy a little house, which was very fortunate, and we're very blessed. But you know, I still miss the city. Oakland so is, I Oakland work in the awesome, city. But, um, mm. I never really go west of Third Street. <laughs> so I'm working down here in Soma in the in the startup ghetto where the turkey sandwiches are fourteen dollars. But I do love it. I love working in the city. I love the city. And this yeah, like this venture capitalist garrison. jerk yeah. named Benedict Evans, Benedict Arnold Evans, um, <laughs> wrote some tweets. I guess was it wasn't even a blog post. It was just a bunch of tweets, right? And then spent like three hours telling everyone he was wrong. They were wrong and blocking everybody. And yeah, it's a funny thing. Is I mean, you know, we bring this up. I mean, this podcast is not about the quality of life in San Francisco, obviously, but it's uh, a it's a whole a, other podcast. A whole thing. I mean, San Francisco, San Francisco, like a lot of big cities, is in this, and it you know, it's driven by uh, by the influx of money. You know, New York, it's finance, and it's also. Um, well, it's happening in San Francisco too. The New York Times is doing a great job in reporting how uh, people in co- uh, countries like China, Russia, places where there there's a lot of uh, illegal money has been obtained, and people are trying to uh, get it out of the country before there's um, you know an issue like uh, Chinese Chinese mm. currency is being devalued because uh, renminbi is um, become a, a global current uh, reserve currency. Uh, the uh, uh, world. Um, bank has added it. So that's going to eventually put, and it's already happened that it's devalued a bit. So if you had a lot of money in, in Chinese currency, you'd be trying to get it into dollars in Russia because of, uh, of the political situation and whatever. So people, uh, very, very rich people are buying apartments for as much as a hundred million dollars in New York. And there's these new thousand foot tall buildings. It's just yeah, like an investment vehicle. Yeah. Right. yeah it's yeah. it's uh, because there's, you know, it's a safer place and then to the put money. the poor guy in the bodega who makes your coffee, like has to live two hours from work. Yeah. So, and San Francisco is yeah, a, a little different. San Francisco does not have as much money being parked there in that way, but it's definitely part of the pressure. And and so the tech economy is, you know, so there's the oil economy and like uh, all kinds of and illegal trade economies that drive some of this. But then the tech economy has pushed, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars into people's pockets through uh, stock appreciation and uh, and uh, initial public offerings. So you have all this money flooding into you know, the Bay Area. I think people forget how small the Bay Area is in some ways. Like it's big in some ways, but – San Francisco is a, t- it's small. a tiny city, yeah, and all and people want to have that address. So, um, and the development's all been focused there. So, San Francisco was practically like a lot of big cities was nearly a failed city. Like things were horrible. Then all this money pours in, and now 
nobody who lasted through the horrible part can is going to be able to afford to enjoy it if things get better or as things get better. Yeah. I mean, we had a good run. We showed up uh, kind of <laughs> after the the last bubble burst, after the the first top dot com boom. I moved here in two thousand three, so it had been you know it it it, it was all the the burst part was over and we were starting to recover, and that's when I came in. So you know you could still rent a place. It wasn't too bad. We you know we were offered a couple of places before we finally decided which one we were going to rent. And the rent was like expensive, but it was doable. I moved here from Madison, Wisconsin. So, you know, I had a little sticker shock, but I wasn't, you know, I was able to, to you know, pull myself up off the floor and off my fainting <coughs> couch and pay my rent every month for like 10 years. So, but, you know, you're not in control of your own destiny now and people are getting evicted and rent control is, you know, it's it's good while you have it, but it's kind of bad for the market as a whole. And I don't know, we do. This definitely isn't the place to get into all that, but, no, but yeah, this guy was saying that San Francisco didn't have any like good cultural institutions, and he was like, shops. "Oh, like there's no art museums and all this stuff," and he was like basically comparing it to New York, but it's like we also don't have the philanthropy scene. Like the old money people do a good yeah, job yeah. of supporting the arts and the cultural institutions, but these tech guys like really haven't been helping. So it's like, yeah, you know, you want to step up and endow some museums, like go right ahead. But complaining about it on Twitter is really not. Helpful. Yeah, I'd be totally delighted if you were complaining about the uh, social inequity and the, the breaking of the social contract and the way in which the tax structure has been messed up and private buses and uh, lack of uh, infrastructure, infrastructure spending. And like, if he'd been going on about that, I would be like, yeah, yeah, this is great. Like, how, how do you as somebody in venture capital work to transform, like get your, get everyone in VC, get all the people, yeah, the CEOs, some things, dude. get them excited about making San Francisco a great city for everybody without giving things away or whatever the thing is, but making everyone a participant in the success. And instead, it's turning into like Blade Runner with really rich people living at the top of penthouses and the bottom is like some kind of dystopian hellscape, right? Not that yeah. yet. But um, but no, he was complaining of the lack of carpet stores and bookstores. And I'm like, I, you know, he was also... The carpet people, store thing is just confusing. I don't, I don't like, get it. But it's like people, you know, there's no parks. And I'm like, I don't know where he lives. I think he doesn't actually <laughs> live so in San Francisco. <laughs> I think someone confused him. He's living in another city and he thinks he's in San Like he's in Daly City and he he's thinks he's in England, San Francisco. right? Maybe parks means carpet stores. I don't know. I don't know. But like someone, like you know, someone pointed thing. out uh, the footprint of Golden Gate Park is actually bigger than the footprint of Central Park. You know, and, and you know, and San Francisco. And there's the Presidio too. Oh, like, the that's Presidio. That's a national park right here in the city limits. Last time I was there, I went to the Exploratorium. Does New York have a national park like inside the city? I don't no, think it and, does. Uh, yeah, I did a... Uh, I did 75 flights of stairs at the Presidio a couple years ago. I was visiting there just walking along the beach and the view. I got of the married Golden there. It's beautiful. Oh, my gosh. So I know we're, we're, the, we're from the – this is the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Uh, the Visitors Bureau of San Francisco sponsored this podcast. No, not really. But um, I don't know. Oh. I love I love big cities. <laughs> San Francisco is uh, – like I have issues about that street level and it's partly that – issue of like, I'm uncomfortable dealing with people who I don't know how they're going to interact with me. And there's a big homeless population. There's a lot of people with mental health issues who have been thrown on the street who don't get the care they need too. And there's, uh, you know, but San Francisco is not a crime ridden city. It's had the same kind of reduction in crime as other big cities have, but there's a perception that, uh, because it's often warmer there, there's more people out, you know, anyway, so we're, we're well afield. But the thing is, I think San Francisco is a great city. I think the tech boom has contributed to making it harder uh, throughout the Bay Area to be able to live there and have livable policies. There's a lot of policy failures. And you don't have to be on a left or right political spectrum to recognize that there is some kind of policy failure at a big level that's causing um, causing change without uh, keeping everybody up, you know, keeping everybody in that loop. So everyone will have different policy prescriptions. But uh, I keep going. To, you know, last time I was there, I went to the Exploratorium, which is a magnificent facility now in the water. It's so cool. Barcagero. Then I walked there. I walked up a bazillion flights of stairs to the Coit Tower and got this incredible view of San Francisco. Then walked down there, you know, to uh, your neck of the woods over in Second, and then over I walked to the Tenderloin, which is not recommended for tourists, but I was staying not far from it. And you know, it's a it's a great town. It's a great town. It's a complicated town. We love you, San Francisco. Shout out San Francisco, shout out social ills. It'll all work out. Yeah. 
Um, Maybe next year. <laughs> that's right. 2016 is all uh, getting fixed. Exactly. Speaking of. Let's talk. So now that we've done our civic duty, let's talk about, <laughs> um, I was calling this next year's retina density resolutions, high resolutions for the new year. Um, what get kind it. of? It's a resolution joke. I'm hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I have a jokes made for radio. Dad jokes on the radio. So um, let's talk about some of the things we'd hope we've talked over this course of this year about a lot of things uh, that were bugging us. Um, and we <laughs> so know- So many things. <laughs> so many things, like more than, I don't now remember- it's our turn. <laughs> I don't remember any year, yeah, I don't remember any year where I felt quite as frustrated. I mean, except when Yosemite shipped in 2014. I don't remember any year being quite as frustrated with the ecosystem of stuff I work with. And I feel like this is the year that happened. Um, so let's chat about uh, our wishes for 2016. We can be productive and say, here's what we hope Will happen, Susie. Do you want to start out? We can we can go back and forth. What's what's your number one item there? It doesn't have to be. Uh, it's going to be bullet points. It doesn't have to be numbered from uh, by priority. <laughs> yeah, in no particular order. Um, I was a little frightened about that headphone jack rumor that the next iPhone would have a lightning port instead of a headphone jack. Um, I mean, I have the MacBook that only has one port. You know, it's not enough ports. Um, <laughs> so I'm a little worried about uh, an iPhone with only one port. I feel like next year there's going to be a lot of change. You know, we're going to get a new president, and I, I, I want to keep using my headphones. <laughs> um, so, I mean, they'd probably have an adapter or something. And I know time marches on, and when Apple replaces technologies with better technologies, like, you know, it, it usually is a step forward, um, you know, not counting, like, just the pain of the transition itself. So, you know, I, I will roll with it if the next iPhone has a headphone jack. But I think that it's it's just going to be a bunch of Sturm and Drang that is not going to be fun to deal with. And I, I, I kind of wish that they, they wouldn't do this and maybe hold out another year. But, you know, I don't know if that's a that's a good resolution or not, because that's like a please don't do this. That's more of a request. Yeah. And there's a rumor, that rumor about um, uh, Apple supporting high resolution audio, which would require a lightning connector to get the right uh, rate of speed. Like that's an interesting one. That would be one. cool. Optional? Yeah, as an optional thing. Like, optional, like, fine. Oh, if you're into high resolution audio, then you get the lightning, uh, you get lightning headphones that have a built-in uh, lightning pass-through, their MFI, like that. That is an ecosystem as opposed to the default being. Like, I just don't believe they're going to remove the headphone jack because I think it's, you know, it's not like a removable battery or something. It's not like, uh, uh, which there are arguments for and against that. And I think Apple convincingly, you know, the entire industry just about no longer has removable batteries. Apple went first because they felt like they could squeeze more battery in, which they could to get their life. And it, that really irritated a group of people. And eventually it's, you know, everybody did it as batteries got more efficient and components got more efficient. But a headphone jack, it's just... It just obsoletes like 10 billion pieces of equipment yes. with your phone and people, are, ah, you know, but, you know, we have AirPlay, we've got other things. It may be that we've got there Bluetooth is... headphones, which work with your Apple watch and yeah. you know, work with your computer as well. Like maybe some like really easy switch Bluetooth headphones, like those Bluetooth keyboards where you just press a button for the device you want to use and it's no problem to pair and. Maybe like if I mean if they like included those with every iPhone, but I, there's, it's going to be a big pain in the butt if yeah, they do I, this switch. I could see. I mean, it's also so one of the arguments would be for it. I just realized is that how often are you listening to headphones and plugged into power? Like I think there's kind a, of a lot. Are you? That's no. interesting. Well, I, I don't mean, maybe. So I mean, I'm wondering if that's part of the trade-off. If they give you a bigger battery, but we'll you know we'll find out. But I think you're right. I think I think the iPhone's going to keep having a headphone jack. Because, uh, you know, it, I think they might offer a new kind of thing, but I don't think it's going to replace it because I think it's too hard a transition. Uh, so uh, this is sort of related. Here's here's one of my items is uh, more focus on getting things right instead of shipping. And Apple used to be the company and it still is to some extent. It would hold off mm -hmm. until things worked. And then, you know, it would be an arbitrary period of time. Remember when they're like, you know, we're working so hard in this iOS thing. We're taking people off OS X. We're going to delay shipping of OS X until we get this iOS stuff sorted out. And they said it and they pushed – what was that? It wasn't Lion. I can't remember which release it was. It was a few years ago and they did it and they got the iOS release out. Then we got OS X and the OS X release I think was not a terrible one. Uh, and um, But the, the cadence they're in is so severe. And This year was the first year they demonstrated they could try to slow down. And iOS 9 and El Capitan were the result. But we also got um, you know the Siri remote control we've talked about a lot, which mm -hmm. I – frankly hate and the minute they at uh tvos uh update came out with the uh, apple um app remote app uh, support i have not touched the siri remote since 
uh, even for the Siri features. I'm like, eh, you know, I want the convenience to be able to enter stuff and search and not have taps. You know, uh, uh, the sliding on the thing is always misrecognized. It's such a terrible experience. That got out the door. How did they get out the door? How do they ship tvOS without a number of features. You know, we're still mystified about that. I think there are issues about how Apple is approaching it or the Apple Watch. You know, Watch OS 1 was really thin. OS 2 was the real OS, you know, and it was like a development release that shipped. Not that it was not polished. There are issues, more like it was incomplete. So I'm hoping Apple... Uh, even at its current speed, you know, obviously, <laughs> this is we have a whole column. The Macalope writes regularly about the pundits who tell us how Apple is failing, and it's uh, the, all these missteps that we talk about when things go wrong legitimately, and we're unhappy with what they're doing. Uh, pundits uh, love to say oh, Apple's going to be out of business. This is the peak of its business, and they've been saying it's the peak for ten years. I don't know, uh, and it keeps making more money. It's not a money issue. It's a it's a how do you approach. Uh, a business where you have such loyal and dedicated customers, you're constantly onboarding new people and people like us have high expectations, but we also spend a fair amount of money. We're, we're pouring often thousands of dollars a year into Apple products. Uh, you know, even on a year we don't I'm buy a computer. I'm afraid to add it up. I really am. Oh yeah. No. And I, you know, so it's, it's, we are, we are their, we're customers they want to cultivate and maintain, even as they bring new people on, who do things like buy uh, gold Apple watches. But, I feel like philosophically, the way Apple talks about itself, it should be aligned exactly with what we're saying, which means that there is a, a executive mismatch problem. People at the top are not hearing enough about the problems. There's things like, so my example, and I, I'm never a if jobs were alive person, because that's, you can't play that game. I had that moment about the watch, and I've said this a number of times. The fact that you turn your watch to you and there's a delay before the watch face appears. I do not believe Steve Jobs would have allowed the watch to ship with that delay. He would have harangued and browbeaten and screamed at people until they'd figured out how to reduce that delay to, to a, a fraction of what it is now because it's a bad well, experience. Well, the delays every time you do anything on the watch, especially right. with watchOS 1 when it was pulling every like chunk of data off but, your phone and it just was, the, everything was so slow. But just the basic thing of, and even by O2, you don't, you'd flip your wrist up and you are waiting for the face to appear. I know, I know there are cases that are almost identical in terms of that kind of experience that jobs delayed stuff shipping sometimes excessively. Because mm -hmm. of that. So I feel like it's not that the polish is gone. The hardware is at its highest level, you know, ever. Um, but the integration of experience, I feel, is not has not kept up with it. And I feel like there's a mismatch there. So I won't go on and on about that. We've talked about that excessively. But I'm hoping that's part of Apple's rededication in 2016 is getting the fit and finish and polish between interaction and software and hardware working. Uh, so what's, what's another of your... Your resolutions. These are resolutions for other people, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> much easier to set. Um, well, another one, this one's more for fun, but yeah, still back in, in the iPhone zone. Um, there's a rumor that they might do a smaller iPhone this year, like a 6C. Yeah. The rumor is like four inches. And I, I'm into it. I had a 5C for a while, kind of between my 5 and my um, 6. And it was a great phone. I really liked it. I liked how it felt a little less... Um, uh, vulnerable because of the like nice plastic case. I like the color, and I just I just like the size, and it was such a great phone. So I think that they should make this 6C, and I will be really happy when it comes out. I might buy one for my mom or something. I think I told you my wife is like in the market for that. She's got a iPhone 5, so she doesn't have a Touch ID, and uh, she does not want a bigger phone. She she uh, given her um, her vision numbers, she'd prefer she bumps the size up on her uh, iPhone 5, but she does not want a bigger screen size. She wants something that's that small that works with all of her various clothes and per per uh, purses and hand. Yeah. <laughs> tea uh, and so I think, I don't know, I feel like there's a pent-up demand. If they had a really kick-ass four-inch phone, it would just be, or small, whatever size that smaller one is, 4.5 or whatever it is, it would be, um, I think it would do incredibly well. Because, yeah, and uh, they might not give it all the features that the flagship phone has because they always want to steer you to the flagship phone. But I think it would be pretty badass if they did, if they were like, look, like all these phones are equally awesome and you just pick the size that you like. I think that, I mean, people would love that. Like who wouldn't love that? Everyone would. That's Yeah, that's my reaction. I don't think it, would, it wouldn't offend people if there's suddenly three phones, if there's 
you know, petite. Small, medium, large. I yeah, mean, it's, I mean, it's a pattern that works. <laughs> they, you know, Apple totally proved to me that the, uh, the the plus size works. Like, I didn't think it was a mistake. I don't ever try to gauge Apple in terms of products they sell. That's why they, they didn't make a battery case for that one because it's awesome. The battery in it is huge. People yeah, with the plus can needs. go all day. And I know originally I heard a lot that a lot of uh, women preferred – the plus because they could stick it in a purse. They weren't trying to. They were never trying to stick a phone in a pocket, or rarely, or something. So the size didn't bother them versus not having to carry. Like because it meant that they could avoid carrying bigger devices like a, a iPad Mini, uh, and it combined a lot of functionality. And then over time, I keep hearing about more guys who have either adopted or they're like, "No, I got one right away. I've been using one for a year and a half." But I feel like uh, there's a gender bias to that story, where it's like, "This is the phone for the ladies with purses." Yeah. So the big size obviously worked, and I. I'd love to see a smaller one. Um, this actually gets me to one of my my next resolution for Apple is uh, stop with the thin already. Stop with the thin already. <laughs> You're so skinny. It's just uh, manja, I know, manja. I know. It's funny that obsession with um, my grandma Rose would make them a big cup of matzo ball soup. <laughs> mm. it, it just the seems first like time it's... I met her, she was like, "You look hungry." Oh, my my husband's Jewish grandma. My uh, my grandfather. And his brothers were all very obese, unfortunately. And they lost various points. Some of them died young. And my grandfather lived to ripe old age and lost a bunch of weight at one point. But uh, he told me the story. He said he was once at his mother's house. And, uh, you know, she cooked everything with schmaltz, you know, with chicken fat. And he said, Mama, you're always on us about losing weight. Why, you know, dieting? And she said, not in my house do you diet. <laughs> and there is the quintessential <laughs> essence of the Jewish experience in America. Yeah. Uh, we were but anyway, the phones. Hungry. The phones. What about those thin? thin? They look so thin. They're so, so thin. thin. They need some. Um, but yeah, I think the obsession with thinness has driven some people a little around the bend. Because uh, uh, battery life, you know, we all, uh, the fact that Apple's released their iPhone 6 battery or iPhone battery pack for the smaller phones. Uh, we talked about the bump on the back and how it was a compromise, even though it's very nicely functional. But it kind of reveals that, hey, people need this. I just, uh, we published uh, just a few days after last week's podcast over at the wire cutter, we published our mega, oh my God, did I look at a lot of batteries? Uh, and I didn't even touch them. I was just working on the editing side. Um, but does, there's dozens and dozens of, of USB battery packs. And these weren't even battery cases, these were just external packs. Yeah. And the best deal, by the way, and it's it's really frustrating, is the uh, Amazon has a really good $4 Amazon add-on battery that will charge your phone like half to two-thirds, but it only has micro USB. They didn't do lightning, uh, so you'd need an adapter to make that work. And the adapters are inexpensive, but suddenly you're carrying a lightning cable, the battery, and an adapter. And even if you get one of those adapter cozies that keeps it hooked to the cable so you don't lose it, it's a pain. But four bucks for a really good, very, very solid battery. Um, but so, thin, you know, the, when they make the phones thinner, they reduce battery life. There's not as much battery in them. The, the plus is one solution. You make a bigger phone, even though it's thin. Uh, there was all the uh, bend gate stories, right? You know, bend, uh, which were all sort of not exactly disproven, but Apple uh, upped the kind of rigidity they put into their uh, the, the S line. And uh, I hope that they will not continue down the path to thinking that thin is the best thing. It feels like it's an aesthetic choice that's driving the functional side. And you get these sort of funny uh, backlashes like the battery pack being necessary, the bump of a battery pack. So uh, I think they've maybe achieved terminal thinness. We don't need anything thinner. It's uncomfortable to carry when it gets thin. I don't want to cut my steak with my phone. <laughs> I'm not Steve Wozniak. I don't need to carry around a metal business card to cut my steaks with. Um, so uh, that's that's mine. So what's uh what, yeah, what's on? thin phone is nice, but a phone that lasts all day is better. You know, like if you had to choose, last all day. Yes. Every, every time. So yeah, I'm with you on there. I uh, yep, and um, I, I think we have a we have a shared item, but I'm gonna give it to you. I'm gonna hand over to you on a uh, one of your shared items there. The, uh, yes, Mac. we both picked the same thing, and it's something that several people It's an O'Henry story. Picked. It's like yes, O'Henry story. I got you is. a USB-C port. I got you a MacBook. I sold so. my USB-C adapter to buy you this MacBook. Anyway, <laughs> um, yeah, and Jason Snell did. He has a great column at Macworld.com that you should read, and he did his last one on things that he wants just from the Mac in 2016. Like, for, forget the iPhone. He just focused on the Mac and still came up with quite the list. And one of the things that he picked that you and I are also picking 
as well because it just needs to happen, is a refresh of the MacBook. So when the MacBook Air came out, you know, it was kind of like a little, it was, the design was insane, but it also had like a lot of trade-offs. And then it took them a couple of years, I think, to refresh it. So we're hoping that they get on it. I mean, we just talked about how they should slow down, except for here. They should speed up <laughs> with the MacBook refresh and bring that puppy out. Um, it needs a second USB-C port really, really badly. Um, the thinness is good. The battery life has not really given me trouble. Um, you know, obviously it should have better components because every computer refresh gets better components. But the thing that, yeah, I really want is a second port. Um, and then maybe, you know, they should, they have their little adapters, but maybe they should make a nice dock. Like they made that nice Apple Watch charging dock yeah. that you really don't need because you have a charging cable, but you know, the dock is nicer. So instead of an adapter, they could make a nice little dock that could connect to, you know, their own displays and you know, let you plug in your, your iPhone and all that good stuff. Maybe you could have a speaker built in. I don't know, whatever. But, um, yeah, I, I want to refresh MacBook and if they put out a dock, I'd probably buy that too. Yeah, there's a lot of great uh, USB-C accessories starting to appear, and we're starting to see. Uh, actually, I have a. Uh, I was talking about last week. I have an Anchor battery and one from Talent Cell, uh, and there's a couple others that are uh, USB-C connectors for both high-speed uh, recharging of a battery. Uh, these are external battery packs, I should say, uh, and also to be able to charge uh, a MacBook or Chromebook Pixel and uh, some of the phones that now support uh, USB-C. Um, and there are a lot of Thunderbolt docks out there. Not a lot of great ones, is my understanding. There's a lot. Uh, some are some are work quite well, um, and they give you that kind of thing. They give you uh, HDMI or DisplayPort out. Uh, they give you additional. They give you like a USB three hub and uh, even conversions to other standards. So I'm wondering if we have to wait for Thunderbolt three, which will use uh, be supported over USB C style connector. So I don't know what the cost circuitry and timing are about whether that could get into a MacBook refresh because that would be logical. You know, then you put two USB C ports on and you get Thunderbolt. Three, you get USB-C, you get display, uh, and maybe there's a dock as well or something where the third-party docks come and it becomes this really um, amazing product that then works across uh, product lines, you know? So, um, yeah, I'm I'm very interested in how that plays out. But, I mean, I love my MacBook. I got my 12-inch MacBook. I use it all the time. It's one of my very favorite uh, Macs, despite all the shortcomings that it may – or the – not shortcomings, but the the design choices. I think it's a. I think it has some limits, but it feels uh, much better to me than the original MacBook Air. I don't feel like I'm having that kind of constraint on it. But yeah, second port would be nice. I have piles. I have so many cables and adapters. Can you send for me an it. adapter for my display? Then I could use this thing full time. Oh, I need my to gosh, just buy I don't know one. If I have. That, you know, that's, still, that's hey, one of the things that we, here, actually, this is the sidebar on USB C. I think I think we talked about it a couple weeks ago. Is that the charging issue? Passing through power, I think, is a very expensive thing to engineer. So the reason we're not like I, the only companies that are making or the only product I've seen that has a combined adapter power pass through is Apple's two um, their uh, uh, digital and analog display adapters that have USB C power only pass through, a Type A 3.0 data pass through, and uh, display either uh, HDMI or uh, sorry. Uh, uh, no, it's HDMI output. It's DisplayPort, rather. DisplayPort and um, uh, VGA uh, is the other one. So those are those are like $80. And I thought, you know, for a while, it's like Apple is being obscene profits. I know they charge, but $80, really? This should be a $40 adapter. I haven't seen any others. And because there are two standards with USB-C, I think we have talked about this. Listeners, bear with me if you've heard this before, but there's a 15-watt and a 100-watt standard that works with USB-C. So when you're engineering pass-through for a 29-watt adapter like the one that works with um, with uh, the MacBook, you have to be using that higher-powered one, and I think there's an issue with it. So uh, I'm not with the adapter, rather, but, but being able to engineer up to a standard to allow that much power to pass in a compact factor. So I'm hoping in the New, Year's, New Year we'll see more of those, too, because I have I could send you some display adapters, but the USB-C to like DisplayPort and nothing else. So you can't get power at the same time. Ah. I know, I know. So that's, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so that's the, the holy grail. The reason you need two USB-C ports on the MacBook is not necessarily uh, even because uh, you want to. Like you want to because you want to plug two different things in. Right now it's because you need to be able to charge it and do something out and the adapters just are expensive and not available. So, you know, um, there we go. So, hey, I want to steal one of Jason's also. 
because uh, he's a great guy. Thanks, Jason. Thank you, Jason. <laughs> is it stealing when he wrote it for Macworld? Such Mac good World? ideas. I don't know. No, he um, wrote them for us. We commissioned I know, exactly. these ideas. We're just we're, re, we're repurposing. <laughs> we own re, them now. <laughs> reformatting that content. Uh, the Mac App Store. I uh, I totally agree. I read that. And I was like, yes, hallelujah, brother. Hall you, sister. Uh, it, the Mac App Store is kind of a horrible mess, and we spent 2015 complaining about it. And you know, God, you know, when it gets down to the point of like, forget the certificate expiration, uh, Michigas, which I still see is affecting some people where they haven't rebooted and then they suddenly try something and they're like, wait, why did this break? It's like, oh, you haven't restarted. It was a thing from months ago. Yeah. Yeah. You haven't restarted or launched, you haven't launched a Mac app store app since then. And you have the cash. So do, you know, restart store D agent for or store agent D from the, and you're like, that's a whole mess in itself. And it show you know, and, and, uh, I, I don't think it was, I don't think it was as big a, I think it turned out to appear to be a bigger problem than it was, and it was an oversight. But it shows how fragile the infrastructure is that something like that can break and without anybody being aware that it was about to break. Um, but I think the overall issue that, you know, we still – like forget even the iOS store has the same problem, App Store, uh, trials, upgrades, um, flexibility, review schedule, all these things. Like the Mac App Store is not the same beast, and I feel like it's being run. So the good news is – Here's our New Year's present early is Phil Schiller is now in charge of the app stores. Yay. And I think that's great. Now, you know, I'm sure you've talked to Phil. I've been talking to him for like 15 years or something. I'm sure you've been interviewing him forever, right? Um. <laughs> Have you ever met him? <laughs> no. No? How is that possible? Uh, I've never met Phil Schiller. Is that Oh, my bad? gosh. Um, no, no, it's just my fraud. Did we just expose? No, my I'm surprised that would you be, but you're regularly get, you've been getting briefings for a long time from Apple, right? Yeah, never from Phil. Oh, that's funny. It maybe it was a time when he was in charge of different things. I haven't talked to him in in several in a few years, but I used to get on the, the time phone. that they called in people for was it was it Yosemite or Mavericks? Oh, for Mavericks, the they about, called people in yeah. from for like one on one briefings. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I was actually out of the Apple game then. I don't know if I would have like ranked for a briefing. I was a little B list then, but um, <laughs> but but I was I was on TechHive and now I'm back on Apple. So oh, I maybe see. Well, if they did it again, maybe I don't know. I've never met Phil. I've met a few of the other execs just at um, at the the events, but just you know like bumped into them and and made myself say hi, even though I'm really shy. So oh, well, it, always, it always goes well. But he's great. He's super. He's a he's a genuine human being. Like uh, uh, Greg Joswiak also, and so I mean, like I was always. I'm always in the sort of like B plus list when I was writing for the Seattle Times regularly and then Macworld, you know, we're not. There uh, are a lot of lists. Yeah, they, they, have, a lot probably, of lists. they probably have like an H list over there. And Apple Apple PR, when I was doing in-person stuff, when I get down to Macworld or, or get down to San Francisco for things, they're always very good to me. So, I, you know, I met with various people below the sea level, let's say. And uh, But Phil Schiller, I feel like Phil has demonstrated. And it's not like it's not like somebody else in the company was opposed to the Mac App Store getting better. I don't believe that at all. I think this is an issue of like focus intent and, and just the amount of things that can be encompassed. And I think that nobody was a specific advocate for the Mac App Store, the way there are advocates for the iOS App Store and the way that that drives Billions and billions and billions of dollars worth of, you know, direct and indirect sales. The App Store is iOS App Store is incredibly critical. Um, I think Phil has been a you know consistent advocate for uh, developers. I think he's one of the reasons that um, a lot of people have you know developers stuck during some of the lean years to Apple is partly because of him. And I think that if we're going to see improvements, I don't think this is a signal that oh <clears throat> we're moving Phil into this position or he's putting that putting that under his purview because it's a new commitment to the Mac App Store. But I think it means that uh, they're recognizing uh, they need more of an advocate who's oriented in that direction than the previous organization. Uh, but it's also good with seeing Apple. I mean, I think it's a sign that Apple's trying to bring people up and uh, and put in more mature people across a uh, you know variety of positions in order to uh, you know boost that management team and have more attention paid. I don't think it's a I mean, it's a hierarchical company. I think people are fairly empowered at various levels. Um, but I think there's a lot of top-down decision-making and, like, final decision-making, even if stuff's being built in a team that's really, you know, flat. And uh, having more people to move things along to avoid gating is uh, a good thing, in my view. So let's hope the Mac App Store – I mean, really, the, the, even, if you, even if there's an argument to be made that the iOS App Store will never have trials or upgrades, the Mac App Store needs them. You know, yeah, and the you're iOS seeing... store doesn't really need them that much because well, like the, trials, the developers though. have figured out like so many business methods that work. I mean, you can do like free within app purchases. You can do, 
um, you know, patronage. You can do uh, like a light version and a paid version. You can do subscriptions. You can do like so many different things. But then on the Mac App Store, I mean, if you're really going to do like something that costs a lot of in, in development time and make something that you're really proud of, you can't sell it for $2. Like you're just never going to make that up well, in volume. So, I, I mean, apps like Fantastical or, you know, BusyCal, they're like $50 apps and they're awesome. And like they, you know, they're worth $50, but it's hard, you know, to convince just like Joe Mac user that it's a big enough upgrade over the built-in calendar that he already has that they should take that plunge. So when you sell Mac apps on the wider web, Pretty, they pretty much all come with like a free 30-day trial. They're like, use this. See if it fits into your workflow. Like, you know, take your time. Make up your mind. We want to provide you like a good customer experience because we know if we can convince you, like you'll be our customer for a long time. It's like it's it's a bigger investment than just like a $2 iPhone app. Yeah, and so I think the, I think the promise different... of the Mac App Store offering things to developers besides basically iCloud access, like access to that for sync and other purposes, I think that promise – uh, and sandboxing for safety, a few other things that are consumer facing. Um, if you're going to take 30%, so that $50 Fantastical, 15 bucks is going to Apple. Uh, and if with, I, I suspect the price of more expensive software in the Mac App Store could be cheaper if there were trials because it would let more people try it and there'd be a higher, or there'd be a, a conversion rate there, right? You know, 10,000 people would download Fantastical. And 500 or 1,000 would buy versus, you know, however many hundreds are buying directly versus uh, directly through the uh, through um, the Fantasticals or, uh, uh, sorry, the Flexibits own site. Um, yeah, it's a, I, I don't know. I think it needs work. And it's, but it's, again, it's on some level it's for old timers, right? Like we have more complaints about it being longtime Mac users and understanding where to get software from than perhaps the intro audience where they don't need as much. They're using web apps and they're like, I need a calculator they go there, they find the highest rated one, they buy it for two bucks, and they're done. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> they don't need a trial because it's two bucks. So, um, but let's hope in the new year that happens. Uh, anything else on your on your list of resolutions? Things you'd like to see in 2016 from our favorite fruit company? Um, that was pretty much it. Like, I'm excited to see you know where they go next with the Apple Watch. Um, I'm really curious to see if this Apple streaming service ever really sees the light of day. But for the core products, for the the iPhone, for the, you know, I, I use an iPhone 6S and a MacBook Air, and I'm super happy with both of them. Um, yeah, I, I think they're doing a really good job. I think this was a good year for Apple. Like the software wise, like, yeah, it was a little sketchy sometimes. Um, you know, there were some weird product rollouts, like the Apple Watch rollout was a little weird. Yeah. But the, you know, the products are pretty good. They're making good stuff. And I feel like they know what they're doing um, better than I do. So, so yeah, I hope Apple has a great 2016. I think they will. You know, what's funny is we're not, it's sort of hilarious at some level. I think um, in many years, many past years, you said, what do you want in the next year from Apple? Uh, people in our industry, in our profession would say, oh, well, I'm hoping that the, uh, the Craswell, the Roswell, the Fizbat, whatever the uh, process, I don't even keep the track next of it anymore. Set? I don't even keep track of it anymore. I'm like, oh yeah, Apple, A, 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 well, we see a, you know, I don't even care Every about Every Mac they anymore. sell is powerful enough for what I do. Yeah. The like I'm, I type the, words into boxes and the they're all fine. The 27-inch iMac Retina is an incredible machine. Like, all right, yeah. it's oh, reached wow. its apotheosis. It's not that expensive relative power. If you want the smaller Retina, get the 21 and a half inch one, which is even more affordable. Uh, yep. You know, I mean, it's weird to be this, this position where I am not looking for more I mean, yes, I want the constant pace of of, uh, of innovation to increase, but I'm not sitting here complaining about the dollar to computational value ratio. I have a perfectly fast um, setup, and I think Mavericks was part of that. Just to get vaguely technical, my problems ceased on a lot of machines I was running uh, because Mavericks introduced memory compression, and so for my four gig uh, MacBook Air, which I've now sold, it went from being practically unusable to a new machine without doing anything else because suddenly the four gigs was just used so much more efficiently. So I feel like the lower end computers I've had, even older computers suddenly got new life. I bought a, uh, I had to buy a Mac mini early this year. People can go to macworld.com to see my account of horrors with the Mac mini that was failing, that it replaced. And a, I don't know what year, this is the 2013, 2014 model. I can't remember which vintage of Mac mini, uh, when this came out, it's a totally fine machine. I do, I have two screens, one big, I do audio editing. I do Photoshop. Uh, I have, you know, 15 apps running. I got 16 gigs in it. Um, I bought it from Apple with 16 gigs configured and it's got an external SSD cause I didn't want to use the internal over USB three. And it is the fastest machine I've owned. I think 
And that's great. I don't need anything more than this. I wouldn't mind more power. I'm not going to go out and buy it. And so 2016, Apple, like, yeah, just keep introducing new stuff. But I don't feel like much is um, is missing. Thunderbolt 3 is the most interesting thing to me that will hopefully ship in uh, or it will be out in 2016 as opposed to, oh, my gosh, they're so behind on X. No, they've got 802.11ac. There are faster versions of that, Wave 2, uh, that are in the new iPhones um, and are coming, and maybe we'll see revised base stations. Uh, but I don't have that feeling of like, oh, my gosh, we're so far behind in our – or, or um, I'm waiting for this. Or uh, I mean, if you've got an iPhone 6S or 6S Plus, it's just – it's super fast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not They're a developer, and I'm not along. doing video. They're doing so, okay. Yeah. I mean, we don't do, – neither you or I well, – you, do, uh, you don't do video editing. You do video recording. But, um, you know, we don't do video. We don't do animation. Um, we're not rendering, you know, 600-layer Photoshop files into 3D or into sophisticated stuff. But even at the level where I'm working with – I did an, a 1,200 – no, it 1,800-page InDesign book on a combination of my Mac – 12-inch MacBook – which has eight gigs and my Mac mini, which is 16. I'd go back and forth using Dropbox to sync. And I was working with an 1800 page file with like a thousand images in it Wow, where it was reflowing. And uh, I did that earlier this year and it really was not that big a deal. Screen size was a bigger issue for me, like putting it on my bigger monitor uh, rather than working on the MacBook. Um, that was a bigger issue than, than sitting there waiting for stuff to happen. So we've reached a point. It's not peak computing, but where I think that's so much less of an issue unless you're in very specific markets as opposed to being an issue for almost all users who are doing anything above a basic level. Or so I think. So that's 2016. Yeah, make stuff faster, but hey, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's cool. Do that kind of thing. It'd be great. Uh, well, let's move on. we got a couple other topics we can handle briefly. Um the security thing, I just want to highlight this because this is my beat and I, I just like to hear it being talked about again is uh, Tim Cook, they did the uh, Charlie Rose interview uh, on 60 Minutes. That's funny. I forget. He, Charlie Rose, but 60 Minutes, his segment there, uh, where they looked at, you know, they're going to meetings with Apple and they're inside all kinds of facilities and uh, and all that. But it's also um, Cook said uh, in this last week, too. Uh, so that's interesting. Watch because you can see some of what's going on inside. I get a little I'm not as interested in their process anymore because it's so rarefied now. Like I can't, I don't feel like I can draw lessons personally or professionally from Apple because they're working at a scale. That's just totally, you know, outside of that. Like, you know, I don't, I don't know, but, but the uh, encryption thing is what I'm interested in is, is cook talked about um, again, made forceful statements that Apple was, we know would abide with abide by all legal warrants and uh, government regulations. And it was not going to, make backdoors available in its encryption software. And they'd specifically engineered their software in the last few years to be ever more resistant to the point where, and he said this multiple times, but he reiterated it. He can't give out, he cannot give you a government rather, uh, I message messages because they literally do not have the keys, the way they build the system. And, uh, so far, that statement's been confirmed. You know, they could change the system and then we'd, it would have to be audited and it's hard to know. It's it's difficult the way the system is set up to tell. It would have to come out in court hearings or leaks or something. But as far as anybody in the security and encryption world knows, uh, Apple's architecture is good and uh, they do not have the keys to the castle. They cannot, once you start using iMessage, uh, they cannot intercept and decrypt messages for third parties. They can intercept them. They just can't decrypt them. And I think it's a great thing to have uh, – uh, some people disagree with this, I know, but I think it's a great thing to have a major technology player being so forceful about it um, uh, because I, uh, the, the backdoor issue that keeps coming up is you cannot put an encryption backdoor uh, that only authorized parties will have access to in legitimate circumstances. It's not, it's not possible. Yeah. It's like it's like theoretically impossible to do that. It's like and, a screen door on a submarine. You're just going to get water <laughs> all over the floor. I'll tell you what. Yeah, and then they're not even just saying this like, you know, on Charlie Rose for for the public. Um there was a story that broke this morning um in the Guardian that uh Apple, so the UK, the House of Commons uh has a committee that's looking at a proposed bill that they're calling like the snooping charter or the spying law uh. that's basically saying that the government is allowed to hack computers and um, all ISPs should keep like a year's worth of browsing data and just all these like crazy security regulations. And um, like basically they, they, they want 
not only to like legalize like government snooping, but say that if they, they can't do it, like the companies have to help. <laughs> and so so Apple actually submitted, you know, uh, some a, a submission to the committee saying, like, we think this is a terrible idea. Like, here's here's all the ways this is a bad idea. And here's how you should change this legislation. So it's not quite a security nightmare mm-hmm. as it is. So, yeah, I mean, like they're they're talking tough to like governments, not just, you know, on TV to people. So it's it's it is very nice to see that. Um, Apple's, you know, planted their flag in this. They're saying this is a selling point. This is what our customers want, and our uh, our loyalty is to our customers. And, and you know, we're going to make this a, a selling point of our devices. Yeah, and I think uh, Apple has said that they. I don't think they said this recently, but Cook or others have said that uh, if certain laws were passed in certain countries, they would basically have to disable iMessage because they are not going to. I don't think if they were man, and it's actually possible. They might have to pull iPhones from sale in in, um, in some countries, and I think that would be an interesting battle. Like if you if China, and I you know gosh knows what's going on in China because China has much more severe um, explicit control of telecommunications there. And um, iMessage, if it's entirely outside of Chinese control, is a, a, a threat basically to the way in which they view the government views its uh, need to control uh, communications. So, um, if a law were passed or regulation or an edict made that iMessage had to be decrypted, I don't know what Apple does. Does it say, uh, okay, well, you know, it sucks to get out of China, but um, we thought it was the biggest market. Uh, or they may be able to work a compromise where they essentially disable uh, and warn users this is not encrypted communication, but they don't allow the iMessage encrypted system to be used. Um, you know, this is one of the fears about Microsoft and Skype. Um, Skype uh, uses a similar approach that's also completely unaudited, unfortunately, just like Apple's, uh, that sets keys for individual copies of Skype and ostensibly it's untappable, but there's a lot of information out there that makes it seem like there may be ways to do legal interception of it. And uh, Microsoft and Skype typically deny this in specific terms, I should say, but um, there's concerns about it because of how the architecture is built. Apple's architecture is somewhat different, and so it's uh, be more uh, resistant to that kind of thing. But um, it's a, it's an issue. I mean, the bottom line is like, even if you think the government should have full access to everything that everyone does, like, let's say you're an absolutist and you say, Hey, uh, I think in order to fight uh, terrorism and crime and everything else, I think governments on demand, uh, with or without, uh, war, uh, judicial process should be able to request information with, you know, specific knowledge. Let's just say that's your stance, right? Even with that, what you're saying is, okay, if we build a system like this, it essentially means that everybody has access to it. Every government, you know, you don't, you can't give the U S access to backdoors and not give China. And so you're like, okay, well, China has a human rights, you know, not like the United States doesn't. China has a human rights issue and has due process issues. And so does Russia. Oh, you give it to Russia? Oh, okay, well, what about all the other countries that are not on the terrorism watch list, which is most countries in the world, some of which have our dictatorships and have terrible human rights records. So there's no, there's a genie in the bottle and uh, the people who want, I mean, the FBI, when I hear the FBI head spout off often incorrectly about encryption, like, technically incorrectly and then demand some kind of golden master key I'm like that key is in the hand of every government in the world if it's in the hand of the United States and then it becomes yeah. in the ha- it gets in the hands of hackers and criminals because and other and governments that are opposed to your own and your own employees and citizens are being hacked by criminals and by other governments so there and is like no contractors working for those governments oh, yeah. you know as we saw with like like edward Snowden wasn't even working for the government i know he's a con- so yeah, yeah like uh, there's no, no there's Backdoors no solution are a terrible idea and i salute tim cook for holding firm on that yeah we'll see where it goes but i think it's been a good stance and especially i mean it's been part of a marketing stance against google because you know cook says pretty explicitly that Google sells you as a product. And so their Apple's thing is, no, we protect your privacy. And here's yet another way. Uh, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of talk about encryption and it's often like the, uh, with the democratic, uh, debates, uh, recently, I didn't hear the full thing, but they were talking about encryption and it was just as if people were babbling. Like, it's like, no, this doesn't make any sense what you're saying. This isn't how it works. Like it's not a political issue or philosophical one. You're actually wrong. (laughs) <laughs> if you were right in talking about it, then I, we can have a debate about whether your policy made sense. But if you actually don't know how things work, then we can't even have a discussion. You're just violating. You just you know violating common sense. Yeah, they uh, wanted to work a way that it doesn't really work, and yeah. that's the problem. 
That's right. Well, but one last security note, because uh, as we finish out this last podcast of the year is um, I wrote two uh, Mac 911 columns recently about deleting stuff. And I thought it might be worth <laughs> since we're talking about security. Stand of the year, you should just delete a lot of things. Delete everything. But uh, uh, several readers had pointed out and uh, El Capitan got rid of secure empty trash. And then Apple put out a little uh, security note. And the note about it was um, secure empty trash isn't really secure in, in every case. So we're removing it. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> You're like, but but that's a security note. And the issue is, and I, you can see the, go to macworld.com and you can search on secure empty trash or follow our show notes for this podcast. And the deal is that SSDs, the way they handle uh, avoiding writing the same memory unit uh, excessively because they have a lifetime. You can't write, um, you don't want to put too much wear on any part of an SSD. So there's a whole internal system and external systems that manage it. Uh, so they even out the usage of cells and they lock out bad cells when they go bad and so forth. Um, because of that, you can't be sure at an operating system level that any given SSD will actually overwrite the specific places that had the bits that you want to get rid of. On a, on a hard drive, you can. On SSD, you can't. So the solution is if you use File Vault 2, it encrypts the whole drive. And so even if someone gets access, if you're concerned that, that if you're using secure empty trash in order to prevent someone with excessive skills, whether a hacker or a private investigator, the government, from getting access to data you deleted, well, then you should just be using File Vault 2 because in the same circumstances, that encrypted data could be fully retrieved but not decrypted by somebody else without your password. So... That's my uh, that's my advice. The other is delete immediately is a feature. Uh, someone was asking if they already threw stuff in the trash, and uh, they wanted to get rid of it without emptying the trash. Was there a way to do it? And I said, "Ha ha! Of course there is not. I've been using a Mac for thirty years." And then I look into it and like, "Oh, Apple added in El Capitan." Delete immediately. You can select any item in the finder outside of the trash and you choose this option. It deletes it immediately instead of putting it in the trash. It erases the connection to the file in the drive's index. Uh, but if it's in the trash, you can select items in the trash and actually delete them without deleting the whole trash. It's like selective trash delete. Oh, cool. Yeah. It's a funny little, it's a funny little feature, but uh, it's not secure. Still not secure, but it, get, it gets rid of the file. And that's the important part. Uh, well, Susie, it's been a delightful year podcasting with you. And a we'll whole have, year. Well, I think we started in March. We'll call it a year. <laughs> it's been as much I've, as I've been on this podcast a whole year. So thank you to everyone who's listened. Yay. And I hope I haven't let you down too badly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. well, if they're listening to the end of the podcast, the, the people listening to the podcast, we haven't let down, have we? That's for sure. They stay with us to the bitter end of each hour. Um, and so anyway, it's been delightful working with you. And I look forward to further collaboration 2016 yes, we're, we're off next week and we will be back the week of uh january 4th i think it is That's i right. will actually be out that week because it's going to be ces madness i'm not going to vegas this year but i am helping with everything so i am doing like crazy hours and whatever so glenn is going to come with a nice guest and they're gonna they're gonna take care of it so i will see you guys the second week of january That's right. guest tb i'm trying to figure out who is not at ces or intensively covering CES, which is a big part of the tech press. So we'll get somebody fun. We'll talk about... It could about, just be like you and your boys. I'll just talk. <laughs> you could I'll talk just, about Minecraft. I'll just talk to myself. I, <laughs> I spent a lot of time in my basement talking to myself. Anyway, I talk about Minecraft. Uh, but we'll, yeah, we'll talk about CES stuff that's... Uh, we'll be recording uh, just before the, the main uh you got Chunk fiber now. You could record both parts by yourself. That's right. I can talk out of two sides of my mouth at once. Uh, <laughs> that's right. we'll be, so we'll be off for a week, and then we'll be back. And uh, this has been episode 488 of the Macworld Podcast for December 22nd, 2015. I have been and remain, as always, Glenn Fleischman, a senior contributor at Macworld. And I've been talking to Susie Oaks, the executive editor of Macworld. Thanks, Susie. Happy holidays, everyone. Happy holidays to you. And we'll be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.